0: Welcome to your daily game face. I'm Dr. Kim Lann and I'm here with Lou Blasey. It was a pregnant pause. Well, I was thinking of a word, but I didn't have one
1: today. Uh, Yeah. Oh, for me? Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, I did, but I didn't want them to come out.
1: (laughs) I'm in a very good mood today.
0: Uh, Good. I'm so glad. I never know.
1: What are you talking about? I'm usually in a decent mood. Well, You're
0: you're in a good mood, but sometimes you're in a
1: funk. Not funk, just distracted. A lot of stuff going on trying to stay on task okay
0: <laughs> well anyway so good morning everyone welcome to your daily game face um as you know um, um or probably you didn't know i was a guest host this week on a really fun show and if anyone wants to go check it out um ron kolik is yes. i i'm gonna always do the other one now because i made fun of it but ron he is He's he's the show host of G- Ghost Chronicles, but he's like a ghost hunter. He's yeah, a...
1: we kind of call him ghost hunter. He's, he's a uh, paranormal scientist, right? As so he, he said he, on the show, he,
0: but he doesn't.
1: He's he doesn't ghost hunt, because really, he's don't...
0: different than like a parapsychologist or a paranormal. <sighs> um, Chaser, he actually could
1: have stopped it different. He
0: he has this way of he's really looking to see what truth is out there, if there is any. He's not just like the I believe in everything and it's all out right. there. And he's he's much more the skeptic. I would say he's he's not a skeptic, but he plays the he he's always searching to see you know what's really going on out. Yeah, in the he's world.
1: he's open and he collects a lot of people to bring a lot of stuff to him, and then right. they just discuss the stuff that comes right. up. Right.
0: So, but he's fascinating because he's not your typical like one camp or the other, like all in or all out. He's got a good experience base. And the reason why I was on that show is because he asked me to be on the show to discuss paranormal psychology and Mm -hmm. like the psychology of what people think and how they think and why they believe in apparitions and ghosts and mediums and so on and so forth um, from the psychology science side. I don't think he realized how much <laughs> I was going to talk about. <laughs> um, but nonetheless. I'm no, you didn't
1: realize how little we stay on topic on that
0: show. Oh, well, that too. Yeah. I was, yes. The topic shifting is quite something. Oh, yeah. By the time we were done, we were talking about murderers and people <laughs> doing all kinds of terrible things. Um, but next week, he's coming on my show, which should be very entertaining between the three of us. Yeah. Because we're going to discuss, I thought it was very appropriate that it's Halloween and halloween time is some some people's favorite holiday and some people's favorite time of year it's a good holiday they love they love the whole spirit no pun intended spirit of that and uh it's also for people that don't follow halloween as halloween it's all saints day or all Mm -hmm. souls day do you call it all saints day or all souls day
1: Oh, Halloween, I call it Halloween. Right. So,
0: <laughs> so people, so a lot of people celebrate or not celebrate, I don't know what they do, but they think of it as that. So yep. um, you know, it's kind of like a little wrap-in of all kinds of interesting things. And it's psychological in nature for a lot of people too, because there's a um an earthen tie-in to all kinds of different religious practices and sure. psychological phenomenon that happen. And you've got anything from like right up here in Salem, Massachusetts with all the witches and practicing Wiccan and
1: Have every... you ever done a Halloween in Salem?
0: I have done Halloween uh, in Salem, Massachusetts. It's and Like it Christmas is quite, at the North Pole. It is quite something. <laughs> yeah. And it starts early. You want to go up there now. You should <laughs> just as so good a time as next week. <laughs> It is quite. It is quite something, yeah. though. And, and seriously, for anyone that's in the area or coming to Massachusetts over the next two weeks before Halloween, visiting Salem, Massachusetts, which is the original witch witching ground.
1: Some um, people are very forward on this kind of stuff. It's 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 a forward part of their thinking. In what way? Um, it's it's day to day. It's it's uh, it's a give, given. It's part of the reality. In other words, you know, Ron does it for a living. Right. He goes through and, and does it. And I do it because I do the podcast. And if I get something interesting, I'll follow it, but it's not day to day to me. Right. But a lot of people, it's day to day. It's
0: right in there. Right. So yeah. it's it's their it's their life. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's just like anything. Like my life is what I do, right? Yeah. And your life is what you do. So yes, it is very present, but it's probably foreign to you that it would be present. Well, like forward. Okay. Yeah cuz you know well like we talked about so so the other day on the show if you guys go back and watch Ron's show um, Lou Lou and I had an extensive conversation while Ron was doing whatever who knows what he was doing yeah <laughs> but about how how to experience paranormal experiences and why some people do and some people don't or some people are a little bit and what the differences are of that. And so probably if I explain it today better, I'll get a better chance of explaining it than I will with Rod's here because we'll get (laughs) sidetracked. Oh yeah, absolutely. But, um, but the, but the experience base for people is, you know, being more open. And we talked about this the other day is being more open to certain things than, than other things. And again, generalizing this to anybody's life in general, that was really rhetorical um, is, you know, Are you open to just change? Are you open to um, something motivating versus not? Are you open to spirituality? Are you open to a different way of thinking? It's sort of the same thing. Is the more open you are, the more suggestible you are, and willing to kind of go with that train of thought, then the more likely you're going to have those experiences. But also at the same time, if you don't put yourself in an experience based or exposure-based area where, you know, you go to a seance like you were saying with Ron the other day or something like that, then you're not going to necessarily have that opportunity because you wouldn't be around people that are open and willing to go there. So Okay. Do
1: you want to dig in on this a little bit? Do I want to what? Do you want to dig in on this? Sure. A little bit? Because you danced around the center of the topic. Go ahead. The center. Yes. People who are have a thought process that opens themselves to this type of experience yes. have these types of experiences yes. the question is are they real
0: okay yes
1: so because the example and i i my girlfriend watched the show so i oh, guess the cat's out of the bag on this one my girlfriend and her daughter are into this stuff yeah and i get around the house you know last night i you know there was somebody in in the bedroom and it's like i'm just trying to get the bills paid so <laughs> i got a lot to deal with a ghost in the house is not necessarily something i need to deal with right now so i don't really you know i I don't really delve into it right so it's not where your
0: presence of your your mind space is or your consciousness is right right so go so go to that question i think it's a good question is it real because i get asked that as well because
1: but based on a reality i would have had i I don't know how open you are whether you're open or not you're going to have an experience right
0: well, some would say yes and some would say no. no. So here's here's the thing is, is so go back to the question, is it real? So that's a hard question to answer, right? Because it's like I said the other day about like talking about, you know, the tooth fairy and Santa Claus and being able to identify something you can't yeah. necessarily see, but you know exists in some way, right? So it's the same thing. Is it real or is it is it in your imagination or is it something that you want so badly that you experience it? I mean, so... From a clearly scientific psychology background, one would say in my position that um, people generally speaking will, their reality is their reality, what their perception is, if they see something fly by their face in the middle of the night, then that and they explain it, then that's their reality. That doesn't mean that I have the same reality, it means that I can Totally understand and validate that. I hear that you had that. I see that you had that, but I don't actually see it. So your answer can, is
1: define your terms. Right. What is so, what is, quote unquote, real?
0: Right. Yeah. So so but it but it begs the question about how we do have a growing field of parapsychologists and paranormal activators like Ron and other people. I, I know several people who practice his mediums. I've known them for years. Um, I have a new person in my life just recently after my friend died this summer. And one of his family members actually is practicing and she's pretty amazing yeah. at it. Um, and uh, so it's hard when you when you talk to people that have credibility to say, oh, it's not real because goes it flies in the face of what i know scientifically and what i would purport but also um you know the reality is is how do you have someone that knows something about something else that you would never have the access or the availability to talk about so it's quite an interesting phenomenon i think for people it is real um to many degrees. And certainly I shared my experience with like my dad's apparition being yep. in the doorway. Um, I think people have those experiences and it could be because of neurological connection. It can be because yep. of that, that other piece that we can link together sort of loosely scientifically. So, you know, me going with science and fact, um, but At the same time or and at the same time, I think that there's something to be said for, you know, like little kids have incredible intuition and then, you know, ability to sense things and you will see common common reports of kids reporting things like that from you know little 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 up until they're six seven eight years old and then the socialization process comes in of like norming of like you don't talk about that stuff it's weird it's going to make people think you're crazy um and something i didn't talk about the other day was that cultural piece there's there's very very heavy load of of sure. spiritual parapsychology, right? But it's would be labeled spiritual in, you know, the Dominican uh, culture, the South A- American culture, South African cultures. Like, there's different cultures uh, around the world that are very heavily believing in spiritual beings good and bad you know you have the chupacabra you know the mythical character um you know down in dominican that runs around and you know sort of scary and terrorizing of of people and kids and then you have all kinds of um, belief systems religiously that integrate into spirituality of like you know the visitations of an angel coming to you after someone passes so it it's very interesting to see culturally over time because in my office I get clients occasionally over the years I've done this where they've been sent to me being I've been told they're psychotic they but in fact after getting a good history And getting a background on the religious belief and what the family is and whatever, they're not psychotic. They actually just have a core belief system that this is – and that's how they make sense of the world around them. And they're not – it's not functionally challenging them. They're not seeing things and having psychosis, whereas I do have clients that are psychotic. And that's a totally different way of reporting. It's a different experience. Sometimes it's really close. It's hard to tell. But it's pretty clear when a person's just really intuitive in their –
1: that's my sense. it's my theory about like near death experiences because we've been conditioned on what a near death experience should mm-hmm. be. So when people get the endorphin rush of being traumatically injured or close to death mm-hmm. and they get, you know, things start to happen them biochemically. Yes. What their mind is going to conjure up is the white light and seeing grandma and seeing, you know, that's because culturally that's what we've been told happens.
0: Right. So, so you I would think, think that's that a there's big that part social of social norm piece there, yeah.
1: But he, here's the thing. My approach to this has always been that I think this is about reception. I mean, we're psychologically, we're a radio and we're tuned to different frequencies. Yes. So I believe, and we know energy doesn't can't be created or destroyed. So there's energy out there, and some people interpret it a certain way. And I told you about the woman on the show who smelled her father's pipe tobacco, or someone hears a voice, or someone sees a chupacabra or something like that, right. the energy might be out there and some people pick it up, some people don't, which is why I'm always drawn to the more, for me, the more compelling experiences. You tell me you see a ghost, that's interesting, I'll listen to it. You and I both see a ghost, or you and your friends saw the same ghost, that's when I get interested. Right. That's the compelling piece for me, or, right. or it has that kind of experience, or there's a ghost that reoccurs in a particular site over a period of time. And, and, and people gets multiple
0: reports. Right. Right. Or
1: when a piece of information exchanges that is not able to be known any other way. Right. You know, th- those types of things. Well, right.
0: Because then it's, then it's because we are, we go into that cognitive dissonance, that conflict in our head of like what's real versus what we can't see. What, right. how do we believe that that's there? But it's that, yeah. wow, that, how could that person know that? But clearly they know that. And there's no other way to know that. Yeah. And so how does that come
1: about? But the other stuff our mind is, our mind is designed to draw conclusions and fill in information. Right. So if you put a person in, like you talked about, me putting myself in a situation where I'd have this experience. Yeah. You bring me to a, uh, bring me to an empty warehouse. Yes. Somewhere and want to scare me. I'm predisposed to be scared because my mind is up. I have that empty warehouse as threats everywhere, and anything that I get for input, whether it be a sound or a flash of light or just, you know, the way things work my mind's going to say, okay, threat. And they're going to build up a threat around that. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: But would you, okay, so that's a great example. Would you really, if you were in a warehouse and you were, you are you, would you really get your threat up because you are so well defended around that that you're not necessarily open to the experience of it happening? Whereas I might be standing next to you and go, did you hear that? And you might say, no. See, I can imagine us standing in a warehouse and me going, did you hear that? And you are like, no, Kim. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well and like i said the example i used in the show was two people walking in the woods yes. and one person says oh look at that blue jay look at the deer over there i see these tracks for you know a moose or whatever it is and the other person's just swatting mosquitoes right. and that's the only impression he gets out of the right. thing. and it's right. about being able to tune into the to the experience
0: well so that so that's i mean we were that's what i've been saying too is the it's awareness is yeah. are you is your experience and exposure base open and aware of the fact that something could happen or that something's around you, or that there's a feeling, or that you, you know, you have an interest level enough to be like, oh, that 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 chill on the back of my neck wasn't the wind, it was something else, or you're identifying it as something else that you might explain it. I think it's, I think it goes back to the top of the show when I said, and, and you were saying that, you know, it's really dependent on on, you know, what? where is your, where's your focus? Like, are you, is it your interest level? Is it something that you're really looking for? Where's so, Like a lot of people just walk into most situations in, in that paranormal world of that there's something everywhere. Like if you talk to my friend that's yeah. a medium, she'll tell you that it's, constant yes. all the time that they're talking to her all the
1: time they have to develop techniques and, and that to she turn has to develop yeah.
0: techniques to yeah. push it all aside right. um since she was a child and you know now she's in her 30s and so she's constantly she said she's she does it fine but um she said it's always there that it's no matter yeah. where what how and you know and so and so uh, it's funny because people like i don't ever say anything to her about it so i just know her well enough to know but when people find out immediately they start asking 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 of course when that happens it charges it up (laughs) and and so she says she has to fight it off because the way she reports it is that all these spirits when someone's activating her are trying to be activated so she has to fight it harder to not
1: yeah it's a very common story through ron through working with ron over the years i I know a ton of mediums and i know a ton of people in this business and that's always interesting it's always an interesting part of the story where they struggle just going to the grocery store and you know
0: Right. And in, having to tune everything out. Yeah.
1: Someone's trying to get their attention in the movies and, you know, that type of right. thing. Right. Yeah.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> so, well, so so the field of parapsychology has has grown exponentially in, in probably the past 20 years, at least in my experience watching it. I mean, I don't do paranormal work. I, I certainly have clients that have par- yeah. paranormal experiences, um, but the actual psychology piece of it. Has been of interest. I mean, there's now labs open that are considered more official than they used to be. Um, you know, down at University of Pennsylvania and like all over New England, because we're the capital and mecca of witching and and spiritual sure. and supernatural. Um, and certainly there's they're trying to find more credibility to it. Hence the ghost shows the whole month of October is yeah. like, you know, ghost hunters on TV and paranormal activity and all these things. Um, and aside from entertainment value, I mean, there is actually some psychologists like with doctorate and higher level degrees that are out there that are not just chasing after like stories. And they're trying to figure out sort of what Ron does, too. They're trying to figure out is a person really having the experience legitimately, not that it's not legitimate, but is it something that's really an apparition, a ghost, a spirit or something? Or, in which happens in my cases, is that if I've been called in on something like this, or if I'm consulting, what psychological pressure or trauma or um, acute stress is going on that is making the person perceive that something is happening? Is there something, you know? in many cases, not all there's an abuse background or there's something that's happened to the person in a sexualized nature or, or trauma of physical harm that ends up becoming manifested in somehow this is occurring. There's um, a show that, I don't know if it's still on TV or not, but there was, it's a paranormal um, activity show. I don't remember the name. It was something like that, but um, the group, in Pennsylvania, they would go around and try to debunk or prove these things. And they would often find psychological factors that were really contributing to the person's experience yeah. that was more than what was happening. And when people, um, you know, I go right to Munchausen's in my, in my head, like a lot of people who have Munchausen by proxy, you know, that. Yeah. and there's not a lot of people, but you find them in these kind of stories that people who are family members creating some kind of really unhealthy situation for their kid or their now adult kid and they're still living together and there's a codependent trauma bond and that the way that the person's dissociating in their anxiety is to create this environment around them where there's some kind of spirit, either they're giving them good stuff or most of the time it's something that's attacking them and getting something going. Um, and so there's, so around those kinds of experiences I think is a lot what kind of spawned Uh, more research and more activity around looking for is this stuff really real? Is this stuff like a figment of people's imaginations? And it's fascinating. I mean, I, I enjoy just dabbling in listening to it and trying to understand because it, I love the brain and the brain has a wonderful way of making meaning of things that it doesn't understand. Um, You know, the conscious, you know, I think Ron said it or you just said it the other day, the conscious, Um, mind is trying to figure out what the unconscious mind is doing and then they they don't really talk to each other but then they do and so this is where it manifests and i find it it makes sense
1: you would receive spirit messages of spirit communication through your mind and that it exists in your mind and the mind produces these physical responses Mm -hmm. and stimulus that makes sense so it would be real in the sense that you're getting it but not everybody else is sharing it because you're the lone receptor You brought up an interesting point, though, and I know what this is going to sound like, and it's not debunking any of this. This is not a statement on well, debunking
0: is fine. I mean, it's good to explore. I don't
1: intend to. I'm not trying to debunk any of this. But you talked about the explosion of this type of interest. Yes. And I think a lot of it is substituting for religion. And you talk about the uh, you talk about the why in your life yes having a why yes and i think a lot of people search for that why this way because people don't want to arrive at the conclusion that all you do is you get up you live your 80 years and then that's all there is to it
0: so yes i agree yeah that there's a piece of that there because the um
1: people want to know ufos exist we're not alone people want to know spirit world exists well, yeah, because, because that's some place we're going
0: f- faith in something bigger so yeah So it's a replacement of the religious belief in a in a way. It's a spiritual belief of the return. Like you go back to saying the return of energy that can be neither created nor destroyed. So if you're, and I was brought up Catholic, which is you there is no reincarnation. You die, it's over. You go to heaven, this ethereal place. All these things. But now,
1: which is interesting, is interesting because the a, Catholics as a
0: Catholic like yeah. I was and I am not practicing, but I have a belief system in something bigger than myself. But it's not right. what I was taught traditionally, because I believe of return of energy. I believe in the science of there is no creation nor destruction of and it just returns.
1: So that's because you wouldn't find a use in donating to a spiritual world. You would find a use to donating to a church. Yeah, it's church is a man made thing.
0: Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so, and pe- but pe- so people get their people get their spiritual um, cup filled up by tithing and money and doing those things. Yep. I don't.
1: Yep. <laughs> that's yeah. not
0: my thing. And but that. But and that's I'm speaking what, of
1: the Catholic Church. It's the only experience I have. So right. Well, I'm and not, so
0: most churches yeah. have that. Yep. So I mean. Yes. So it's not just the Catholic church, not to pick on them. I'm only coming that because it's my frame of reference of what I grew up with. Um, But it's, and I said this on the show for, for Ron the other day, is that there's a, um, in mo- I think this is in most religions I can't speak to them directly only from anecdotal evidence to clients but that each religion has its way of dealing with um that you know it's it's in and of itself the only one and therefore there's no yeah. way to believe beyond that so to think of something spiritual in a paranormal an un- unnatural right. way the way I was raised in Catholicism which Ron and I had that difference the other day is that was a no-no it's it's pagan it's um, yeah. unheard of it's it, god it, it's satanism it's all these other things
1: It's interesting Ron and I go that circle a couple of times too and it's interesting cuz the Catholics also have a well of souls Right which is a finite amount of souls right. so how does this how do we how, ex- does, it, how does this happen without reincarnation or well, recycling of life
0: Well so this is like the co- so it's a great psychological cognitive conflict debate that I think happens a lot internally for people. Um, cause people, some people, you know, the older generations are much more afraid to talk about this because that, that stigma and the misnomer of sure. trying to go to hell yep. versus, you know, I have a group of very common teenage to 20 year olds that are always thinking about what else is there? Right. Why am I doing Why do I get up and go to school and, and do hockey and lacrosse and all yep. these things and I come home and eat and go to bed and, like what is there in a bigger bigger space? So I try in my practice to open the door to thinking of various ways um, to enhance their current belief system, whether it's Judaism or Catholicism or Hinduism, whatever they're practicing themselves or what they've been raised as to enhance that as opposed to um, only thinking that. Because oftentimes what happens is kids especially like teenagers they have this like window of time where it's like there's a suicidal window yeah right it's like why bother no one will love me if i am gone i all those things and part of that is that spiritual piece of what what is really is there god is there anything bigger um and to get teenagers and young adults to say You know what? If you don't believe that and you're challenging it, look at all the other things that might possibly be so that they're getting that sense of self. They're getting the sense of purpose and why and and um, so that it's not this all or nothing thing because there must be something bigger. But it's hard to wrap your head around. It's kind of like the I call it the Santa Claus concept. It's hard to wrap your head around something you can't see just because someone tells you it's there doesn't mean it's so. But then you get into the debate of, well, someone tells you you love them or I love you. Well, how do you know? You can't see it. So it's it's that same kind of over and over uh, recapitulating. Repeating process, but it's about really opening up the mind to, you know, you can think of things a different way. You don't have to think of them only that way, but people get so caught up in the guilt and the shame of diverging from what they're supposed to do and what they're supposed to know, which actually creates a mental health issue for people in my office because that's where you get a lot of shame and guilt and being stuck and not able to move forward because people feel like if they they're betraying their family their mothers their fathers their their whoever their grandma their nana um that they would even think like that and and that translates to a lot of things i mean i have people who it's similar to if someone's coming out as being gay lesbian trans all those it's the same process of it's going away from what's considered the norm and acceptable but if someone can't express how they feel, they're stuck and then they get this fear inside that becomes anxiety and panic. And then it turns into a whole thing that goes down the chute. Now, whether we're talking about paranormal or gender identity issues or financial issues, whatever it is, it's it's very similar process. Um, but coming back to that paranormal thing of, of young people searching for purpose, people in their 50s and 60s and 70s are searching for, for purpose, but it's in a different way.
1: It, it's the funny. The brain
0: changes the way it looks at it.
1: It's funny because I was just processing that as you were talking about it, because one of the reasons I'm in a good mood today is because in the last week or so, I'm Italian. I'm of Italian-Irish descent, and I just assume my family line in terms of the United States came with the Great Migrations. Right. You know the potato famine and the Italians in the nineteenth uh, century. Yeah, you know coming over, and I thought that's where my story in the United States started, but Ancestry had said that there was some colonial DNA there, so I've been searching for it for years, and just finally broke the seal. Ah, in the last week or so to get back to colonial America, and in fact, last night I'm going through some relatives, and I'm, you know, I live on Plum Island, and I'm finding relatives that settled in Newbury in you know in 1640. Uh-huh. 20 years after the pilgrims and guys who had deeded lands on Plum Island. And it's like that connection to something bigger is what, how I'm searching for right. that as right. opposed to ghosts in a spiritual world and something like that. My substitution for that has been ancestry and going back to trying to connect to colonial America.
0: And, and I think, and that's a really common experience for, I mean, look at how big ancestry.com is yeah. and the genealogy pages, right? that, yep. Huge, because people want to connect somewhere, and that's and that's the thing is. So if this we're guy Richard spiritual Knight, spiritual and paranormal, it's connecting. Yeah. Where are you trying to connect in the world?
1: If this guy Richard Knight yeah. from 1640, an ancestor of mine, I'm reading about him and talking about him and hearing stories and and collecting other stories about him. He's lived on. Yeah. You know, from that time period, so you start to think that you know, you you always you grow up thinking when you're gone, you're gone. No one's going to care. No right. one's going to talk about you. But here I am digging up this guy from, you know, 1640 and, you know, stories about him. So it is a connection to the spirit world in a kind of a different way.
0: Well, it's it's the past life regression way. Yeah. Right. So if you if we stick to the way it would be described in the topic of this show, it's the, you know, regression to the past and connecting in. And w- are, are you a reincarnate of him? Is that why you found him? Now, here's where a lot of spiritual paranormal people would go is well you're you found him because now he's found himself in you now yeah right? And right so so the fantasy around the past life and and finding connection in your ancestors is now connected into you and it it, it usually gives people a really good feeling it's yeah. kind of like having the faith and like a religious experience is like oh i have faith in the fact now because i can feel the connection um and that could be any degree of that like you're happy because you're like oh Ooh. i found this this cool thing and yeah It's really great, you know, and and finding other people out in the world that might be connected to you because of that connection.
1: But that being connected to something bigger, something larger and understanding that you're an important piece of something. Right. Perpetually. Right. And, you you know, you know it intellectually. I mean, I have my kids and there'll be grandkids and there'll be grandkids after them and grandkids after them. But what are they going to care about me? They're not. But, you know, digging into it myself makes you have some hope that you're going to live on a little bit.
0: Right. Yeah. Well, that's what, and that's so that's what I was saying about the difference between younger generation of people doing this kind of thought process versus our generation, which is we're looking for legacy, right? You're looking for what do you we're not actively probably thinking in those terms, but that's what it is. It's right. You know, when you're young, you're going, OK, what is my purpose and what is the meaning of all this? And then as we get older, it's like, well, what am I what am I doing to leave a mark? What am I doing to leave? A remembrance because I don't want to be forgotten because yeah. what is it all for so you're shifting through that whole time and thinking of it differently perceptively and
1: you're young and you have that you're figuring it all out and then you get a little older and you're a parent right and your legacy is very clear to you mm-hmm. and you know you, you can put a lot of energy into that and then kids grow up and they leave and you start wondering all right what now right you know
0: Well, that's why people, you know, in their fifties and sixties and seventies go and give back into the community. I mean, it's really clear on the developmental scale of the time periods of how shifts from, you know, in your thirties and forties, your parenting, it's very much about like connected into that middle adulthood piece of giving to your child or your children. And then once that happens and they fly the nest, then it's about how are you serving your community in some way? How are you giving back and how are you tithing in, not necessarily monetarily, but other ways of, so that you have sense of purpose. So that when you're 80 or 90 or hundred, right, I'm going to go a little further than you did. Yeah. Um, but when you're that age, you're not in despair of, of your ego integrity is there, your ego reality of I've done something I, I'm happy about um, and I'm feeling complete or more complete because then I'm not going through, I wish, what if I could have, should have. Right. And many times you see people having the despair of, you know, I'm X age and I'm, you know, I mean, I know 70 year olds that are, that act and look like they're 110. Sure. And then I know 70 year olds, some things right. Or 80 year olds. I have multiple friends in their eighties who run marathons and, or play tennis or are on horseback daily. Look at William Shatner. God love that man. Right. (laughs) 91 years old. Can you imagine? And flew into space.
1: Yep.
0: You know, and, and I saw him mm, three years ago. He was here in Lowell. Um, that man looks like he's 50.
1: Yeah, on a, you know, on a such baton. a wide range of outcomes he, in a given and age. I, and
0: I think that that's, you know, probably, I mean, if you listen to him, I mean, what a great outlook he has. I mean, I think in there somewhere he was accused of murdering his wife, but... <laughs> I mean, there's that. Wow. What was that, Charles Bronson? No. Yeah. Somebody else. Um. But there is there's this this um.
1: But think back in generation and non despair.
0: That's what. We, there's this yeah. non despair piece of him, is that when you have that positive mental space and attitude, and you have your ego, your reality mentality in check, I think that that's a big protector of resiliency for you to go forward.
1: We're much more aware of it if you go back a generation and think of what our aunts and uncles were at fifty. 55 60 mm-hmm. it's a completely different animal from what we are completely. 50 55 60
0: yeah because it's i mean i would just laugh it because i think as soon as you said that i think of little house on the prairie yeah right it <laughs> pops into my head and it's like you know laura Ingalls wilder was getting married at you know i want to say she's 15 but she's yeah. not but you know it's everybody was young and everything was done by the time they're 35 and it's over
1: right yeah exactly
0: <laughs> it's like over done. so
1: your 55 year aunt was sitting in an apron having lemonade Right. All day and that's all they're doing and 55 today is it's, you know just the same as 35
0: right yeah right exactly so and I, th- I think that that piece is such an important part of like the mental piece around your experience base and how it keeps you young and how if you if you believe in something that um gives you a sense of purpose or it gives you a sense of belonging that isn't hurting you or anybody else and it's not psychotic right well, great Great. And if that comes from being into the paranormal, whatever, that's good. You know, I mean, not the rituals. That's a whole nother thing. (laughs) Well, no, the rituals in terms of like, you know, lighting candles and stuff like that, but I'm not about the. You know, the, the yeah, you can't lump you things. can't lump, lump all rituals together. It's really not a good thing.
1: Humans need ritual. You can't lump all rituals together. Yeah, that's together. why I corrected that yeah. because the ritualistic
0: yeah. pieces of it that are healthy into like white light, essentially, as they would call it, or or the positive. It's just like anything in life. If you're dabbling in in the in the dark side of your mind, it's not going to go well. If you're dabbling in the light side of your mind and you're constantly nurturing that piece and like searching for your connections and purpose, all that—that's one thing. But you know. In my field, we have a lot of dark side stuff <laughs> that people dabble in. And, and one of the I'm always, not happy about that.
1: What I've always loved about hanging out with Ron and the people, the group of people around him and being involved yes. in this is you can take a leave the ghost stories. You can take a leave the mediumship, you know, whatever you want, be amused by it, buy into it, ignore it, whatever you want to do. But they're always very steeped in history. I yes. mean, you talk about a ghost in Portsmouth. And you get a story about somebody in Portsmouth in the 1800s. So, right. you know, you start talking about how spooky the tunnels are in Portsmouth. And all of a sudden you're digging in. There are tunnels. Wait a second. What do you mean there are tunnels? And you start getting that history and what life was like and you get a, a look into it. So it's, well, and, it's, it's connection in that way as well.
0: Well, and, and the whole so the whole spiritual paranormal for New England, for people that are listening that are not from New England in the United States, there is a plethora of um american war history american like the you know civil war revolutionary yep. war the the ghostings and the operation you know the apparitions and all the things that come and then the land and certain spots of the land here in concord and yeah. lexington that you don't realize just by opening up a door about a story about something paranormal that has happened you know specific trees yep. how old there's a tree that's i don't know hundred 70 something years old, and they talk about what happened near that tree. Like it's all these things that you wouldn't know about if you didn't open your door to say, Hey, you know, this weird thing happened.
1: There's a program in Newburyport, they have a festival every year at the end of July. And during that festival, they have If This House Could Talk, and people put signs out in front of the talk, their signs out in front of the house talking about the history of the place.
0: That's so cool. And
1: you're just walking along the streets, and it's one thing to have a history story. And have a story in a book, it's another thing to be standing in front of the building
0: and the actual building the while you're
1: reading the history of it. There's a building in downtown where the troops gathered to go after the Civil War from Newport And there's right. a plaque there and the building's right there. It's right. really easy to envision because you're standing in front of the building.
0: Well, and I, so, I mean, we're sort of jumping off this, but I think it's, you know, if you've ever traveled overseas, right? I mean, because yeah. you think of you think of Europe. I think of Europe as having such a rich history of all these ancient things and right. and different things that happened. So if you've ever been to Rome, you get this. You I imagine? get this yeah. very yeah. visceral feeling. Now this is my friend would call it my mediumship, right? Yeah. So, but I get a very visceral feeling when I'm near the Colosseum or I'm standing in the Colosseum that it doesn't ever feel good. I don't like going to the Colosseum. I have really. I, I love the I love yeah. the building and it's really pretty and all those things, but I get a weird. I don't know. I can't describe it, but it will probably freak everybody out. But it's a very visceral, interesting, flashy back kind of, um, I can pick up images that's so bizarre, whether I'm conjuring them up or not or whatever it is. But my psychology in my head creates a visceral reaction in my body that makes me not want to be inside the Coliseum because I get such a yucky feeling.
1: Okay. And don't dismiss this. Uh, you like cats, right?
0: Love them. You
1: can't put, you. you probably know this. You can't put food for cats next to water. Right. Because they automatically assume that the food is, is dead animal that spoiled the water. Right. How do they know that that's carried down through DNA? So right. it's entirely possible that something that carried down to you, right. that, that you see the Coliseum and, you know, there's an association there that was passed along.
0: And that's what paranormal yeah. psychologists would say yeah. is that it's a inner, it's an intergenerational pass through from something that's happened. into It's my-
1: entirely plausible mm-hmm. that kitten that won't eat the food next to the water knows nothing except right. what was passed down to him from wildcats 200 years ago, right. 300 years ago.
0: Right. Or yeah. from Egypt.
1: Or from Egypt. Right. From, exactly. You
0: know, Egypt. It's yeah. like that long. Right? So
1: all of this is entirely plausible.
0: Well, and that's the thing is that's why, you know, when people poo poo, I, you know, me, I'm open to hearing everything so that I can then triangulate information and say, okay, what's plausible, what's not, because I think you have to be open to everything because some things you go, okay, that's, uh, there's no way. But then there's other things like this saying like, that's absolutely a possibility. And who's going to know that that's not a possibility because we have no way to prove it. But certainly it could make a, a sense. Like, how do we not know that that could pass down through because genetically, we evolve genetically; things change. It, you know the evolution of the cat. You know don't blank where you eat. There's yeah. a reason, right? Because yeah. it could kill you, it could poison you, it could. And there's a there's a knowledge of that. You don't put you don't put that stuff down. So you know, just like birds, they don't eat certain colored berries. Yep. They know. I mean, there's it's where you know. How is
1: this any different than the bear in the back of the cave? Exactly. It, it's what it is. It's it's a it's a it's the bear in the back of the cave. Right. And those who didn't believe there was a bear in the back of the cave didn't survive. We're the ancestors of the people who thought there was a bear in every cave.
0: Right. Well, and so that brings the point up of of the other part of the show that's connected to this is fear. Mm -hmm. Is people have fears that are legitimate. And then there's these irrational, illogical fears that, you know that make, make no sense to a, a reality-based person, but for other people, they're just so scary because they have such a storyline and narrative built into them that the anxiety comes up and the panic comes up. And it can be, and fear and anxiety go together, but they're not necessarily synonymous, right? Because you can be afraid of something that's realistic. Right. And then you can also have these, fear of unknown and the fear of unknown and the fear of what might possibly be that you're generating in your head is the creation of the anxiety and panic. So me fearing that there's a bear in the back of the cave makes me just avoid the cave yes. <laughs> versus versus the storyline that comes from the bear is attacking me. Cause I have, I have a couple, I have two clients that will go down the whole path of they'll you know, the son like one of the sons went to the, their school outing, and the mother calls and says, did the bus get there? And then she went down this whole line of yep. the bus was captured. The bus was, you know, you know, the whole thing about, you know, being buried under the sand. And like, yep. the ca- And she goes th- every scenario right? versus the bus was late. Yeah. You know, it, and I go, the bus. Was I late. call it
1: problem trapping. Right. <laughs> it's like we got enough real problems. Right. Let's not go looking for. Them. But we have this conflict with intellect if the cat had intellect, you could tell the cat it's okay, it's canned food Mm -hmm. and the water's fine. They aren't capable of that. We're always dealing with that fear and trying to reconcile it with our intellect. Yes. In other words, if I go into a warehouse and get scared by a sound, I'm gonna be able to intellectually say, there's nothing here, it's an empty building.
0: That's to my point though, is that's what you'll do because you're good at programming yourself to say, oh, it's nothing versus I would be like, "Huh." (laughs) <laughs> Maybe it's a ghost. Maybe someone's in here.
1: No, not programming that it's nothing. But I wouldn't turn around and run. Oh, at right. that point, right? Right. Yeah. You know.
0: Oh, I wouldn't turn around and run either. But I would go through probably uh, an iteration of a little bit more epic proportion than you <laughs> <laughs> of what it of what that could possibly be.
1: Well, a good example. Last night, my girlfriend's daughter. She has a workshop in the shed, so she goes out in the shed, and it was a night. And she came back because I heard this animal. I was really. And she starts describing, she heard the animal and, you know, one of the bushes nearby was really loud. It was this and all that. It's and it's like, raccoon. I got my coat on and I'm going out. You know, that's kind of the difference. Right. Right. She's taking it as a threat and I'm going, all right, what the hell's going on here? Right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> see, that. See now that's how I'd be. I'm like, I'm going to go see if is yeah. it because in my head it'd be like, okay, it's a raccoon, fisher cat, yep. coyote.
1: Oh, and I want to know. So I'm going. Which... <laughs> <laughs> Which would you least want to have? At least want to have the Fisher cat. I
0: would least want to have the Fisher cat because that will definitely attack anything at any time.
1: I'll take the coyote over the Fisher cat every time. Me too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yes.
1: God, <laughs> thank God we don't, we don't have, fisher cats. That face yeah. <laughs> we have fisher
0: cats together. Yeah. Yeah, Fisher cats—they're—they're they're very cute. People are like, oh, they're so cute. I'm like, they will rip your face off. Oh, yeah. They will hurt you. <laughs> yeah. They are not a happy animal. Yeah. Um, very cute though, but mm, yeah. that's as far as that goes. Yeah. You know, um, I
1: like pictures of them you what i like pictures I, of them yes they're beautiful i don't I, like well, to hear them, them in around. my backyard
0: i can give you a picture of the yeah. one in my backyard yeah yes along with the 50 raccoons that are screaming at yeah. each other out in the back probably because the fisher cat's attacking them
1: fisher cat's uh, shopping for your cats that's what he's doing <laughs> no,
0: i don't let my cats out so they're not gonna get my cats yeah <laughs> nice try though lou yeah um speaking of right so that goes in line with what we're talking about cats right the um uh, the, how cats are caught up in the superstitious nature of paranormal um, and how they get a bad rap.
1: Cats? Cats. Oh, I see part of the legend and the lore. Yeah, yeah because okay. of yeah.
0: especially black cats. I mean, yep. I, I'm very thankful, actually, and I don't know if you know this, but um, the shelters around here and the the animal leagues, you know, mm-hmm. like the Southern New Hampshire Animal League and, you know, Bill Ricker Cat Care Coalition, everything – from October 1st to November 20-something, like right before Thanksgiving, they don't allow any adoptions of any black cats.
1: Yeah. for Smart. Yep.
0: For a very good reason, because there's so much caught up in the ritual that's not the good thing. And there's so many people that... It, mostly culturally different in their thought process about how black cats have a bad mojo with them. And they have all these bad things that come with the devil. All these things are not rational, reasonable, or realistic in Mm -hmm. any way. And so um, finally, a lot of the animal associations and, you know, the HSUA and HSUS and the PETA organization, they've all come up with, this is not something we should be doing. Not to say that after Thanksgiving, people aren't going to do the same thing. But the heightened time right right now for paranormal activity around what the black cat represents. Um, So if you're looking to adopt a kitten or a cat, it's not going to be a black one over the next four weeks.
1: Is it true there are no complete black cats?
0: There are no complete black cats? Um, No, I don't know that information because... um, you that would mean they well, were persecuted
1: no... to the the story goes they were persecuted to the point where there are no completely black cats.
0: So I know the story. So yep. my knowledge is that that's not necessarily true. I mean, genetically, maybe it could be like a little bit off because you you certainly see leucism, and you see. Right. So leucism? You see, well, cat. So a black cat that comes from black cat that becomes like partially white or okay. has yep. little bits of white in it or, you know, spotted and, you know, they become genetically altered (laughs) um so you have these pieces certainly like um like white tigers are not actually pure there are no real white tigers did you know that
1: no i did not know that
0: so white tigers um have only become white tigers as out of um interbreeding um and uh they are super flawed and they actually have a lot of um damage they internally and they don't have a survival hmm. rate that's very high because people think that they exist in the wild naturally.
1: I oh, so they don't. And they it, don't. Yeah. They're
0: created and hmm. um Crossed. I mean, certainly there are tigers and lions that have existed that come out much lighter and so on, sure. but, but man-made, you know, there's, that's why white tigers are usually cross-eyed. They usually have poor sense of like yeah. their awareness. There's gastrointestinal issues. There's usually all kinds of heart disease and all kinds of, because they're, yeah. Yeah. Um, but that white, the white gene to produce that beautiful color, um, you know, is the, the leucistic uh, gene. So yeah. it's to get them to be the pretty color. And that's what happens with a lot of the different um they've done that to servals. You can see certainly um some anomalies on the board out in the out in the wild, but by and large that is not normal hmm. nor natural.
1: Wow. So there's no albinos. Is what? There are no albino. Right. And well there
0: so yes and no. Yes. Yeah. They're created, but then naturally they can happen, but it's a fluke usually yeah. like a really big fluke. It's not like they're out there. It's not like the regular Bengal tiger out there doing its thing.
1: Just ruined a Nick Cage movie for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um, but so, the, so the black cat fear, if you like going back to the cultural pieces, right? Um I'm just thinking I have a couple clients because in my office because you know what I do for a living outside of just doing this like I have multiple different areas and so in my main office in Bedford you I have like my sports wall and then I have my my big cat rescue wall of all my cats and and my my little babies um, of of big cat and um, people who are not of particular culture of just kind of your mainstream don't ever usually say anything but of certain cultures that i have in my they there's always a comment of like why do you like cats cats are not nice cats are bad oh really they're oh i get comments all the time so i have a very interesting therapeutic conversation because of what it means to them and how it impacts their life and it's actually people think why is that important or why is it because actually people go out of their way to not be around them or that they're bad luck or I have one client that doesn't like to sit on one side of my office because I have a a jaguar um, picture and she's afraid of jaguars because of where she grew up and and so you know and so the picture she moves because
1: of the picture of a jaguar
0: yep the picture of the jaguar triggers something in her and I mean, I I mean, it's kind of like when somebody comes in and they have PTSD, my office is set up that you, you are PTSD friendly in my office because you're never not seeing an opening to get out. Right. So you're not trapped. You don't have your back to a door. You don't have your back to a window. You're completely free. So I, I'm very careful of how I set up my office for a million different reasons that could come up psychologically. But the Jaguar one was new to me. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not moving my picture. But
1: that's a tell, right? Yes. Because that, that will indicate how you approach other situations in mm-hmm. your life. And mm-hmm. again, you know, deciding what's reasonable and what's real and you know what needs to be paid attention to
0: well the jaguar is the bear in the back of the cave for her yeah legitimately from where she's from uh,
1: yes i could understand it if a jaguar was sitting there but a picture of a jaguar right. I'm, I'm not ticked off by a, a, a bear a picture of a bear
0: but so here's yeah. the thing is that it's the it's it's the narrative in yeah. the mind and the psyche that gets built around the the even the picture you know, it's kind of like if someone's attacked somebody. A, a man has attacked a woman. That picture, as soon as they see it, is going to generate that similar narrative of, "He's dangerous. He's going to hurt me. He's hurt me before." Right. And the person's not there in the room. Right. It's the same thing for the jaguar picture. Um, it's that what it does to the polyvagal nerve, right? Your emotional nerve that runs, you know, you know, neck to gut to brain. It's regulating. And regulate it's uh-huh. dysregulating your system emotionally that's sending the the signals to the amygdala mm-hmm. the fight or flight even though it's not real it's still fight or flighting you because we're genetically evolutionarily running from the cave from the back of the the bear yeah. on the back of the cave so right. it's constantly going people don't realize this but this is why i love what i do because i'm constantly it's like being in the emergency room i always love an emergency because i like to figure it out because there's always something going on for the visceral reaction of you know, just a basic picture in a room, what it involves,
1: and just to tie it all together, because that's what I'm good at. Yes. The bear in the back of the cave for most people is something in their upbringing, isn't it? Yes. It's something about their parental relationships.
0: It, it's something about the parental relationship or what the parental relationship represented. Yes. To them. So symbolically, right? So. So like this I is a matter of
1: conditioning. You get to a point where you start reacting to things because of that relationship as opposed to the actual thing that you're reacting
0: to. So the authority that parents have over their children, good, bad, or indifferent in setting the stage and imprinting the modeling of the fear is really what's there. I mean, I had, it took me the better part of 11 years to get a client that is now broken of this pattern, but she often has to question that her parents taught her that if you go into Boston and you go by yourself, essentially, or with anybody other than them, you could get attacked because people jump out of bushes. That was what they were. Yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. So, but these are these basic things. And then she wouldn't go even out in like, she'd go into her car, go to the store, come back, even in little downtown, bloody blah town that she lives in. Because in her mind that anywhere there's bushes, which they're everywhere, (laughs) someone could jump out and take her or hurt her or steal her or kill her.
1: Yeah.
0: And there was, you know, I mean, I'll just use the town that I my office in Bedford, the crime rate in Bedford, Massachusetts is nil. Yeah. Right. Right. It's, it's Bedford, it's like Bedford falls and it's a wonderful life. It's still, you know, a little casual, like, you know, whatever, but that's, you know, kind of that image is like, who's jumping out at you from here. I mean, certainly it could happen, yeah. but it's unlikely, you know, Um, but it's the, it's that. If you don't have the frame of reference, the exposure base, the experience kind of going back to the beginning of the show of, of, Okay, that's a possibility or there's a possibility and that's a possibility that might not happen. Well, you know, then if you only know what you know, that's all you know.
1: It's interesting because that comes back to the battle of intellect as well, because you would assume that people would, you know, you're told at five or six years old that someone's going to jump out of the bushes and grab you or a 13 or 14 year old. Mm -hmm. As you mature, you start to see through that a little bit and your intellect takes over. But you just talked about the authority of the parents and sometimes the authority of the parent is absolute. Right. Yeah.
0: Oh, because they know everything. Yeah. Right. Parents until you know kids get into their teenage years don't question typically, and then when they do start the natural pattern of questioning, if the parent is authoritative, Hmm.
1: it's squashed.
0: No, if it's authoritative, it's good. But if a parent is authoritarian and military style, the questioning is no go, and so the child has to try to figure out as a teenager, like, well. Yeah, but that's not what my teachers say, and yeah. that's not what you know. It, no,
1: you it, can't go with your friends; you'll get raped. Right. Yeah. Right. It's
0: a cognitive conflict. All yeah. people who all people who are in the dark have sex. Right. Okay. It, these things that go through their head. It's not true, but that's what they've been raised with, and anything divergent from that is, you know, and, you know, that's where you breed all the codependency and unhealthy um, relational patterns um, that keep people. Stuck and close, which I see all of them, which is I know. <laughs> um, so anyway, so I'm I'm looking at the time, and I'm going to wrap up here in a couple minutes. But so so I set the stage for this for next week because I'm never sure what Ron's going to talk about. Yeah, i'm good. gonna try to keep him focused but yeah. i love the banter yeah. so next week good luck hurting
1: have... him what? good luck hurting him
0: okay yeah but he's so much fun i love Yeah, him. he is fun so ron is so much fun and you guys will have an entertaining time and i'll make sure i i i'm going to get him to hopefully tell some stories because we don't ever get there on his show but i want him to tell <laughs> some stories because yeah. people are interested and i'm going to hopefully Be able to psychologically dissect it he doesn't know this yet but oh god you know so but it will be fun (laughs) if nothing else for for all my listeners it will be a fun halloween time of god knows what um but if you want to go see the show that i just did with him Go to Ghost Chronicles on Morning
1: Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition. He has several shows. So. Yes,
0: Ghost Chronicles Morning Edition that was from Monday, the 18th, at what time did we do that? 11, Eleven o'clock. But it, I think yes. it just comes up, right? It yep. just pops it's, up on your Facebook. It's the most
1: recent show on, on the page.
0: Yes, and it's super fun. And if you want to look him up, you can find it. It's K-O-L-E-K, Ron Kolek, and he will be on next week. And we will be and then after that. We will be heading into the holidays and talking about how to deal with your mother's, uncle's, friend's, best friend's wife who's coming for Thanksgiving that no one likes. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, great. There's a horror story for you. <laughs>
0: um, All right. So everyone have a fantastic week. And, um, uh, yeah, go out and have your best day.